It's 8pm Tuesday, March the 10th, 2020, and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on this evening's programme, R.D. Clifford has details about the 13th Blossnairan Irish Food Awards, which open for entries next week on St. Patrick's Day. Karen O'Donoghue shares details about the third series of Grow, Cook, Eat, which starts next Wednesday the 18th on RTE1 and runs until April the 28th. And Kevin O'Toole will be telling us about his supper club, which he is hosting in Picado in Dublin next Thursday, the 19th of March. So lots happening next week. But before we hear more, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing me, s.nunan at live.ie, or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So the annual Blossnairan finals are held every October in Dingle, but the work starts now with entries opening next week on St. Patrick's Day. To tell us more about the awards judging process, how and why to enter, I'm delighted to have my very good friend, founder and chairperson Artie Clifford on the phone. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Artie, it's great to have you back on the programme again. And it's all about the Blossnair and Irish Food Awards, which open for entries next week on the usual day on St. Patrick's Day, which is next Tuesday. This is the 13th year of the awards, but let's go back to the first year and just remind us why you decided to create Blossnair. Good evening, Sharon. I was a producer, producing patties and seafood chowders. I wanted some sort of a clap on the back for the, the job that I was doing. Um, and there wasn't anything in Ireland that would give an accreditation to Irish food. So I suppose I've said it often enough. It was an Irish solution to an Irish problem um, because there wasn't any awards. I started them um, in 2007. Unfortunately, um, if I had it thought it true, um, I had to shake hands with my uh, competitor in the first year and award him the gold for um, his product. Because, of course, you couldn't enter your own into your own awards. Well, no. Um, <laughs> and the thing is, it would have been nice to be able to do it. But uh, what we wanted was a very clear and honest accreditation system. And uh, I suppose being the founder, I had to step back and realise that I could never actually win one. Well, it is an excellent system from what I can see. You have collaborated with the university in Cork to develop a very special sensory tasting process that is used with the judges. Just explain, whenever somebody enters a product and then it's it's sent to a certain place on a certain date, what happens next? Okay, um, so that's the first round of judging. As you said, we have... Um, more than just an association with the University College in Cork, um, we have a long history with them. And uh, we use um, their facility for the first round because it is the bigger part. It's where we take in all the um, entries. To do that, it takes us over a month. So the facilities in Cork offers the opportunity there. And, of course, having um, Professor Joe Kerry, our academic director on site at all times, means that um, any checks are discussions that have to be made about whether we increase the category or not is uh, is done there and then but when a product arrives um it will be given a delivery date which is um as close as possible to its date of judging so it gives the product the opportunity to arrive in its best state um and then it goes through uh, sensory analysis so we would receive, and this year we're requesting four samples, so as we have the backup, the control, and enough samples for the judges. Um, 
the judges are seated in booths, um, which are, uh, they're separated. At this stage, there is no social aspect to it. It's um, a door opens, a sample is handed in, and they have their judging um, scoring tablets, uh, and they score on the headings that they've been um, given, um, which are very clear. And it's in numbers, so it's not comments. Um, and I think for looking into a product and how it did and giving feedback, um, numbers are far better than comments. And that all happens in the University College Cork, and that's the start of the summertime. That starts in early July. Uh, it happens in the School of Nutrition and Food and Science, um, which we've been using for um, over 11 years now. Um, as the quantities of entries have grown. Um, and it's it's a situation where it's easy for um, producers to get product to us, be it they deliver it themselves or if they send it by courier, even some of them have sent it by uh, on post. Um, we also have an association with a chill delivery company who will do specific day deliveries. So it's up to the producer, I suppose, Sharon, as to how they get it to us. But we will say that it has to be delivered on a specific date. And that's um, both the logistics on our side, but it is to give the product its fairest chance. Absolutely. And it is blind tasting, so they don't see any packaging. They don't know who made the product or where it's from. No, um, we strip everything away. Um uh, when we're going out for the the judging or the, the the sensory analysis, as you say, the blind. And the blind part of it is that um, we remove all indications of who's made it. Um, the only key information we give them is that it is a pate or it's a lemon yogurt. So it gives the, um, the judge the opportunity to go, you know, can I really taste the lemon there? But other than the number that's given to the producer on entry, that's the only thing that follows that product all the way through the process. So the number um, that they're given is its identifying number, and that's the only thing that's on the sample that's presented to the judges. And every product that enters is tasted in Cork, every single one of them? Every one of them. It's entered, delivered on time, and in its appropriate state. So in other words, we will check for um, the chill temperature on arrival to make sure it's arriving to us at the proper temperature so as we can store it. Um, and if there are products damaged um, and it's no fault of the producers, we will notify the producer on the day of the delivery um, that we received it. And if at all possible, um, if, if we don't have enough to sample, um, we will give them the opportunity to try and resend the sample to us. But it is very important to us that they've gone to the effort of making their products, they've gone to the effort of entering the awards, and they've gone to the effort of having it delivered to us in Cork. It is our duty um, as a team to judge every single product. Because you never know. It can come out of left field. The supreme champion is often surprised. How many products are normally entered in a year? It's increased um, every year, hasn't it? It has, yeah. Last year we were just in over about 2,500 products. Um, but as the products have increased, so have the categories. So in the original, um, in the beginning, we had 36 categories. We now have 147, which includes all the um, subcategories. Um, so if you look at it, you know, I mean, you could have 30 to 40 products in in one category and 10 in another. Um, but it reflects the trends in uh, food um, and food production in Ireland. As we've seen, um, we've noticed, and myself and Joe are actually sitting down to write the story, um, as, uh, as the economy changed, so did the food offerings. And then that gave us an opportunity. Like, obviously, we're now seeing more plant-based products. That's really interesting, the way over the past 13 years, Diets have changed and trends have changed and tastes have changed. And you see that you're at the, the cutting edge of that. 
We see it because um, food producers answer the consumer's needs. So if you look at 2007 and in the early years, um, we would have seen a decline in grab-and-go foods as people had, um, unfortunately, more time on their hands um, to prepare their own meals. So it went over to sort of from being ready to serve to meal kit type foods. Um, and that has changed now. Uh, and why I stick on that point, because it's probably the, the growing area. And now we see these um, were, were sort of microwavable in three and a half seconds foods gone to more constructed. And you'll see that in the grab and go um, offerings are actually healthier, more healthier options, um, as in the salads, uh, as in the heat and serve foods. There's been a, a massive change in, um, I suppose, the Irish diet over the 13 years. After June, then, those 2,500 products, that's whittled down to around 500 that would be correct. What we're looking for is the top five in each category. And sometimes we see that. And we do have, just to be clear on this, where you would see that we only bring in maybe two or three products. We do have a minimum standard score. And if products in a category haven't reached that score, then that category is kind of put to sleep for a year. So um, sometimes you'll see that we have a double silver, but not a gold. And that's reflected in the scoring system. So, yeah, um, we would expect the top five. But in some instances, um, because our scoring goes to three decimal points, we'll bring in six and sometimes have brought in seven because the scoring is so close that we feel it only fair to the product and the producer to give them the second opportunity at the finals judging. And that finalist judging then takes place in Dingle and that's when the fun really starts. It's fun for the judges after they've done all their hard work. There's there's great events taking place for the producers because I think it's fair to say, Blossnairn, it's not just a competition that you enter. It's so much more than that. So tell us a bit, first of all, about the judges, who the judges are and, and where they come from. The judges come from a variety of backgrounds, be they um, chefs, uh, independent retail buyers, uh, food scientists, food journalists. Um, I don't go on to name them um, because a lot of our judges are very, very recognisable um, and well-respected within their, the industry. And they take the judging at plus very serious. Their comments to us have been they've never seen such a system that works so well and socially but actually allows the opinion of each judge to be scored and considered. So um, we developed the system for, I suppose, as we say, the social aspect of the judging, where we have the 72 diners in the room and they're tasting from a 32-course tasting menu and there's 13 menus. Um, so the logistics behind it, and I know, Sharon, you've uh, been in the room with us, where we've got 72 diners, but we've got uh, up on 50 people behind the scenes to make it all work like clockwork. Um, so that is the fun aspect from them. There's a lot of laughter in the room. Um, some of them meeting for the first time, colleagues in the industry, are um, reigniting former friendships that have been built up over the years through BLOSS. Um, and that's that's the judging aspect of it. But after that, there's the more serious fun, um, I would call it, is when we have our backyards and our master classes, and we also build the showcase. The showcase is a um, supermarket or a um, independent retail store, we call it, showing showcasing all the products that have reached the finals to. Um, buyers from both home and abroad, um, and a lot of them will have judged, um, certainly some of them have judged on the previous day, and now they're looking for the product that they're tasted and they want to see it in this shelf-ready state. So we arrange appointments for all the buyers um, to come in during Friday to have a look at the products ahead of the announcement of the awards. And then we run masterclasses, and then, of course, with the uh, support of Bank of Ireland, we've 
kind of moved on an awful lot with our backyard. So the backyard is, um, I suppose, being a little bit naive myself. I, you know, I've lived in Dingle for you know nearly thirty years. I know where everything is, but not considering a producer coming for the first time where our product has reached finals, arriving in Dingle, um, registering with us to say, you know, we're here and this is what we'd like to do, but then you know because a lot of small producers can't afford to take a lot of people out of the business and they're traveling on their own. So we created a backyard with um, the support of the bank um, of Ireland um, where they can go grab a coffee, meet other producers. And then during the course of Friday afternoon and all day Saturday, we have kind of informal um, panel discussions with experts in the industry to help those producers to remain sustainable in their business and learn from people who've been there and done that. So that's massively important to us at BLAS is the education of um, the producers, helping them to look at their businesses, give them time out, but also to create that network of producers. So friendships are made here in Dingle um, and producers often you know, they exchange contact details. They might be in the same area. So uh, we like to call it a bit of co-opetition where two producers who are one making relish and one making jams, but they're using the same type packaging, can get together and use their power um, to buy in larger quantities and therefore um, reduce their costs. And anything we can do um, for producers in that area and I suppose that you probably know yourself, Sharon, we're taking the backyard on the road. We, um, we've we linked up with Taste for Success and SkillsNet, and it's going to give us the ability to run five backyards um, at locations around the country. 13 years ago, Artie, you weren't able to see into the future and see what a monster, a lovely, lovable, cuddly monster that you have created in terms of the the numbers of producers that are involved to enter their products. And now all these spin-off events from the from the backyard, like it is a lot of work for you and you have a very small team there with you. Yeah, we are a very small team, but we're very passionate about what we do. Um uh, people actually, when they see, I suppose, the size of Blast now, they think it's like, you know, we've got headquarters in uh, a very tall building in some city. We're not. We're in a, a one-roomed office here on a, uh, a street in Dingle. Um, but I think the important thing is we have a small team running day-to-day. Um, but as you know, Sharon, the people who come in, the the Blast family who have um, joined us and have the same passion um, as as their colleagues in helping us to build those showcase, to do um, all the judging, to run all the events. Um, We have a very we've been fortunate, I think, Sharon, to build relationships with um, people down through the years, who year on year, they're only a phone call away when we when we need assistance or when we need advice. Um, so although we are a very small core team, um, the family extends far beyond Dingle. For a producer listening that maybe has never entered a product before or has maybe entered a product but hasn't gone down to Dingle because they don't want to to be going down on their own, as you said before, they shouldn't be afraid of that. That There's great networking opportunities there. The BLOSS team, we're all there ready and willing to support. If we see somebody on their own, like we'll mind you. I think that's what I'm trying to say. We'll mind you. We mind each other whenever we're down there and like people shouldn't they should take that step book the accommodation book it now and 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 arrange to come down and really you get tremendous value for your money there because what's the entry fee the early birds there is open until the 8th of april and how much is it it's uh, 60 euros plus fat and for that 60 euros you get to enter your product you get yeah a number of days of master classes seminars there's networking opportunities like one of the great success stories that i heard last year was that in a previous year mina who makes nougat she wasn't able to come last year because she was in harrods with her team yeah. showing her pro- showing them 
their product on the shelf there, the Mina's brand of product that they had made for Harrods. Like you just never know who you're going to meet and it could change your life forever. I have to agree with you because it is those chance meetings. Um, but I suppose behind it, um, I know from talking to buyers both home and abroad that they see um, Dingle on the weekend um, in October um, where Bloss happens during Dingle Food Festival um, is is the one in their calendar that they will not miss because they know that that's where they're going to find the up and coming but they can meet them face to face and in a social setting you know it's not it's not that nervousness of going into a large building um to meet somebody on their territory it's um neutral ground i suppose um and like mean a story uh success stories we've got a lot of them have come out of that couple of days that the people are here and yes um there are people down here to mind us and I, I certainly producers who've been coming for years um, and we have situations where they haven't, you know, they've taken a break from entry, but they'll still come to Dingle for that weekend. It's so important to them to be here to get um, to get the encouragement they maybe need to go on or to make a link with somebody else in the business or as Mina did meet um, the buyer from Harrods um, in Dingle on the weekend I think um, I don't know if you mind me mentioning her name Anne has been with us for the last uh, 11 or 12 years I think 12 years she's the longest serving judge and uh, it's just a phone call to Anne saying this is when it's on these are the dates and it's in her diary because she sees the value of being here to meet those producers, to find the best of Irish product and to bring it to um, the attention of uh, the great and good throughout the world. We've talked about a lot of aspects of the awards there and there is a lot to take in. But if a producer is listening and they want to find out more, where's the best place for them to go? They can go to our website, uh, which is irishfoodawards.com. And if they click on uh, any of the tabs there about or when to entry, as you said earlier on um, this evening, that the entries are opening um, next week, uh, St. Patrick's Day, they'll be open. Um, we've been very fortunate to work with an Irish company in rebuilding our entry system. So producers who haven't entered before, it's a very simple process, step by step. Um, for producers who have entered, it'll be new to them because they'll be, it'll be like their first time entering, but we've simplified it. Um, we're very excited about how that system is going to work. And as you have previously said, Sharon, we will be early bird until the 8th. And then this year, the other change, is, and that's the 8th of April, the other change we have is that on the, the, er, the closing date this year is earlier. So um, we're closing in um, the last week in May rather than in previous year. We carry it on into June. So um, I would urge producers who are listening that if it is your first time entering, um, you know, put it in your diary, put an alarm on your phone. It's Patrick's Day. It's an easy one for us to remember. Get your entries in as soon as possible. If you have any questions, we're always available. Um <laughs> we're one of the few people that actually uh, put our numbers on our website but also the best way to contact us is by email so as we can see if you have a query or if there's something you're just wondering about that we can deal with it as quickly as possible and we do try and answer those within um, within the next working day well thanks so much for telling us all about it tonight already and updating us all the, on all the new developments and uh, best of luck with year 13 I don't think we need luck. Um, we've been very fortunate over the last 13 years with everything um, going so well. Um, and it's the producers themselves who have um, who have brought Bloss to where they are because they know and their comments have, it's very honest. We'll always be very honest. Well, we look forward to seeing, especially in Limerick, what Limerick producers take away a few prizes this year because they have done well in the past and we wish them and all the producers in the, the country the best of success with it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan.
Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard all about the 13th Blossna Erin Irish Food Awards thanks to founder and chairperson Artie Clifford. If you're just tuning in now you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come tonight, Kevin O'Toole will be telling us about his supper club, which he is hosting in Picado in Dublin next Thursday, the 19th of March. Next, though, we're heading over to the phone again to put a call into Karen O'Donoghue, Head of Community Development with GIY, to find out about the movement's latest TV series. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, great to have you on the phone this evening and you're going to tell us all about a brand new TV series of Grow, Cook, Eat, which is going to start airing next week. That's on Wednesday the 18th and it's going to run for seven weeks. Yes, it is. Well, hi, Sharon. It's lovely to be chatting with you uh, and say hello to your listeners again. Uh, yes, yeah, so series three. We're back on screen at 7.30 um, next Wednesday, believe it or not. And time has very, very much flown. Um, And it's interesting to see how food and food sustainability has become ever more topical and prominent, even just in the year since uh, since Series 2. So tell us what's different about this series, because I know there's a few different pieces of content in it, like some of the familiar content will be there about mm-hmm. how to grow certain things. Yeah, so we we stayed with the uh, food growing as the core piece of the programme, because that is very much aligned with clearly GIY's mission, but also people really loved learning how to grow each of those veg literally from sowing the seed all the way up to harvest. So the kind of format, shall we say, around the food growing piece remains the same. Um, What we have done, though, this year is introduce a fruit. So there's six veg and one fruit, strawberry, uh, made it onto the list, which is great. And again, that was recognising that, A, people wanted to learn how to grow fruit, but also that we have a really growing younger audience so there was lots and lots of kids um enjoying the program either by themselves or with their families and in schools so we thought great everybody loves to grow strawberries um and an easy kind of something to pick and harvest for for children to enjoy so that's one change um casey sanderson is back again our fantastic grow cook eat chef and again like that woman just makes wizardry because she takes the simplest of vegetables and the simplest of ingredients you know you don't have to have a ridiculous larder or you know cupboard stocked with stuff that you've never heard or can't pronounce with which to make these recipes and she turns kind of traditional concepts and dishes on on their heads but very much keeping the vegetable as as the main feature, as the main attraction, as opposed to kind of putting it over to the side as a side dish. So that's brilliant to see and and learn and certainly to taste. And then the visits, you know, it was really important to us that we gave a broad um, kind of introduction to food and food growers um, and actual farmers of different things across the country because whilst they all have their own product and, and particularly their own way of doing things, they all meet very much the same challenges. So whether it's Kenneth and Green Organics in, in Galway, um, whether it was uh, Pat Clark in, in Leeds um, with the strawberries or indeed Hanako flowers down in West Cork. You know, these are all people who are growing exceptional products, but in very, very difficult climate, whether it's environmental, because, you know, a bad weather warning can just wipe out their crop in, in a matter of hours. Or even culturally, you know, because people are still expecting to get good, good products at a very low price. And that's just not how it works, because you get what you pay for, if you know what I mean. So, you know, it was really important that we go and meet a broad range of growers and producers across the country to celebrate them, highlight their work and their passion, um, and also to encourage people to either find their own local version and really, really get behind these producers. And then, of course, it wouldn't be Grow Cookies without adding in <laughs> a couple of really random, or seemingly random visits. So, you know, me getting to see the tiger at Photo Wildlife Park <laughs> is not what one would expect from a growing programme. 
So it sounds like it's really diverse. Like it, like it's it is a super program, and it's all very interesting. But it sounds like this series is going to be more diverse than the previous ones because I'm just reading here that um, you're going to include the integration of some of the UN Decade of Action goals and how people at home can take some of these and implement them to work towards fundamental change. Yeah. So I think in in the previous two series. Um, we we always had sustainability, um, you know, in at the forefront of our minds. We we may not have stated it so categorically in the program, and there was a couple of reasons for that. I suppose a it wasn't as kind of topical, um, certainly like in terms of the broader public. B the last thing we want to do through grow cook eat is be perceived as you know lecturing or. Um, you know, scaremongering or anything like that. Like the whole program is about showing people everybody can do something no matter where you live or how much time you have or how green-fingered you make. Everybody can make better food choices. So so all of the SDGs were were throughout, well, maybe not all of them, sorry, but, you know, the sustainable development goals were throughout series one and two. We just weren't directly speaking about them. But now, you know, a year on, a year on, like, everybody is either or should be increasingly sensitive and aware and mindful of what they need to do regarding the climate crisis and the serious environmental challenges that are ahead of us. So for us, it's about talking about addressing that through food. So whilst we talk about things like Chef's Manifesto, that was a fantastic story that we filmed at Grow HQ, and that is specifically around SDG2. Um, it's a global program linking chefs and other people in the food business, particularly hospitality, around the changes they can make and the principles and, and practices they can adopt in their own workplace, whether it's a Michelin star restaurant or a food stall at a market or a, you know, a chip fan at a festival, you know, or just a you know, good old cafe. Everybody can apply those eight principles and have sustainability. Um, as a as a as a key driver and as a priority, you know. Whereas then last year, Sharon, when we did things like I don't know if you remember, where Mick and I compared three very distinct shopping baskets against each other, and one of them was from a, a farmer's market, and the other two were from supermarkets. And again, there we were highlighting, you know, how much food was imported, air miles, the plastic packaging that was around it, you know, the chemicals that would have been sprayed. You know, all the way down to questioning how how fairly were the people who had produced that food, uh, how were they, how well were they paid, like all of us. So I think you're right. Series three, it's a bit more definite, um, but that's because the urgency has increased. We, we don't have time to, to faff around with this now. Everybody needs to do something. Absolutely. And to take the challenge and contribute to the decade of action, viewers can begin their growing journey with a GIY grow box. Yes, for sure. So we have, uh, we developed the grow box a little while ago because, you know, as we were talking to people either in the doors of Grow HQ or through the various campaigns that we got, you know, or even chats on the street or at Bloom or whatever, the same challenges around growing were coming up. I don't have time, I don't have space, and I don't know how. So we were like, okay, we can't be everywhere as much as we'd like to. Um, Everybody can't come to Grow HQ for courses, although there's always some fantastic growing courses and community gardens and, and whatnot around the country for people to join and, and learn kind of hands-on from there. But we thought, okay, why don't we put all the GIY knowledge in a box that is literally how to grow? You know, like everything that you need to get started is there. Just to give people that assurance that honestly, you really, you really can do it. Uh, you don't have to make the mistakes we've made because we've made them. And these, you know, this advice and these seeds and this how-to guide encompasses all of that. And also just to show you don't need any equipment, you don't need any special clothing. I mean, listen, they were able to grow lettuce in space and eat us mm-hmm. and harvest us and enjoy us. <laughs> <laughs> so surely be to God we down here on planet Earth can, you know, set a few seeds, give them a bit of attention and enjoy the process and learn how to grow our own food. And are the grow box widely available? Yeah, 
so yes and no. Um, you can order it online. So if you go on to GIY.ie, um, you'll be able to place an order there through the shop. Um, if anybody fancies, you know, arriving by maybe not space rockers, but certainly by train or uh, driving down or even having a cycle along the greenway to us at Grow HQ, we have them available in, in, our, uh, in our cafe and shop there and they're not currently available to any of the uh you know retailer but hey you know always open to suggestions so if one of your listeners has an opportunity for us there give us a shout fantastic and it sounds like it'd be a nice little gift for mother's day which is just around the corner oh for sure seriously i don't think i mean you know no everybody loves a nice perfume but smelling nice isn't going to save the planet (laughs) so we all need to do something a little bit different (laughs) <laughs> too true too true well Karen it's been lovely to talk to you that's Grow Cook Eat it's going to air each Wednesday evening at 7.30pm on RTE until April the 29th Karen thanks so much for taking the time to tell us all about it tonight we really appreciate it not at all you're so welcome and looking forward to uh, hearing from all your listeners on social media let us know what you think and how you get on yourselves and you know what together we can absolutely be the change and sort this out you're listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan. Welcome back to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Karen O'Donoghue shared details about the third TV series of Grow, Cook, Eat, which airs on RTE next week. And earlier on in the programme, we heard all about the 13th Blossom Aaron Irish Food Awards, thanks to founder and chairperson, R.D. Clifford. If you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, our final guest this evening is the fabulous Kevin O'Toole. Kevin, along with his lovely wife and business partner, Carol Walsh, ran a restaurant called Chameleon in Temple Bar for 25 years until its sad closure last October. But Temple Bar's loss is Dublin 2's gain for one night anyway, as Kevin is hosting a supper club in Picado next Thursday. And I'm delighted that he can join us on the phone now to tell us more. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Kevin, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. I was delighted to see on Instagram that you're doing a supper club at Picado Mexican, which is on South Richmond Street in Dublin too. Tell us about this collaboration with Lily, who has appeared here on the show in the past. Um, well, thanks for having me, Sharon. It's lovely to, lovely to catch up. Um, well, Lily and I got back quite, uh, quite a while. Um, we, we've kind of uh, we've demoed that theatre of food together, Electric Picnic, and um, she's uh, she's the go-to person for Mexican food in Ireland. But um, I'm just basically going to be using Lily's space. She's been very gracious in, in let, let, allowing me to use it for the first supper club. Um, so it's only very intimate, twelve people, um, because there was such a a lot of love for. Uh, chameleon when we closed when we closed down i thought i'd keep it alive a little bit so it's just going to be me cooking four courses for 12 people really r- right in front of them on a, on a long table um it'll be kind of a an updated version of chameleon food some of the favorites but revamped by me for for this kind of event you know it's just going to be the first of many um because there'll be cookery classes coming down coming down the line very soon as well. Hopefully in Lily's space in Picado and possibly in Airfield in uh, Dundrum and most definitely in, in Kildare, probably in May because there's a new venue opening in Kildare Town. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of Hearts Restaurant and Small Bar. They're expanding um, hugely. Uh, massive delicatessen, bakery, pizzeria and a cookery school and that's just uh, down the road from me that's going to be called Firecastle that's very close to where I live so I'm really looking forward to that they have an excellent head chef down there um, Barry Liscombe so we'll be uh, working on some cookery classes together 
This will be music to the ears of your customers who came into Chameleon, which was in Temple Bar there for 25 years because it was such a loss to the food industry whenever you closed last year. But it was something that you felt you had to do because of all the challenges out there, the VAT increase, the skills shortage, the, the price of insurance and so on and so forth. The VAT and the chef shortage were the real killers for us, you know. Um, all last year, as soon as the VAT kicked in, it was um, every every few months it was a case of, okay, what do we pay now? Do we pay ourselves or, we, or do we pay the VAT? And uh, you got to pay the VAT no matter what. So it was a tough year. Um, it was a tough decision. But it had to be made. And uh, it's it's been painful, but it's also been a relief. And uh, myself and my wife ran the business for years. So now we get to be... Uh, Husband and wife again, instead of our colleagues, which is which is lovely, you know, a nice uh, rejuvenation of our relationship. And before I'm going to ask you in a minute a bit more about what Carol's up to, because I know she's doing some very exciting projects at the moment as yeah. well. But to come back to the supper club in Picado, can the diners expect to be treated to some delicious Indonesian Asian type cuisine, which is kind of your speciality? Yeah, it, it will be. I, I think it made sense that for the first one, it was really a reflection of Chameleon. So I will. I haven't even told the people that bought the tickets yet what the menu is. Um, they're going to be emailed a few days in advance, but I have elevated it, <laughs> put it that way. Um, I've already got some ferments on the go for the past couple of months, which are going to accompany a couple of the dishes. I've made some wonderful sambals already. Um, I've already sourced some beautiful goat from Brock Gammon for one of the courses. Um, yeah, um, the dishes that I'll be serving are far more labour-intensive than what I could even manage in Chameleon because I think for what I'm charging and for such an intimate affair, I think uh, you know the clients deserve for it to be uh, something special. So that's the plan. Well, it certainly sounds like it is going to be fantastic. Some wonderful ingredients that you've mentioned there, such as the, the goat from Brockgammon, which is kind of my home county up there in County Antrim. And then you're you're into fermentation yourself, so you, you love to make kimchi and things like that at home. Yeah, yeah, I do. And so does Carol, actually, you know. Um, we actually make our own uh, we make our own miso and our own kimchi. We have a nice batch of miso on the go. About three or four years old now, so it's time to make a new one. And such depth to ramens and soups and you name it, it makes it better. And it's so good for you too. Um, because Carol has gone down the, very much, heavily gone down the health and wellness route. Because prior to having the chameleon, Carol was actually a fitness instructor, you know. So um, she's a biokinesiologist, which she trained at for a couple of years before the restaurant closed. Now, don't ask me to define exactly what a biokinesiologist does but you know they help with the body's imbalances and what it's lacking and what it needs so again she's focused on wellness carol is a very holistic person isn't she she is yeah yin and yang you know <laughs> well i was going to say you complement each other very well i think in in, the, in those wonderful in that wonderful skill set that you share with each other between the food and the mind and you know they go so well together you can tell whenever you're talking about the supper club how passionate you are about the food, like you're getting very excited about sourcing the ingredients for the menu and creating the menu. And teaching is something that I feel that you have a great love for as well. You're talking about Barry Liscombe, Liscombe there in Hearts, who has been on the show before as well. Oh, and um, Kildare obviously is on your doorstep. So from a work-life balance, that's going to be ideal for you that you're going in there to teach. And you're lecturing in Crumlin College at the moment. Um, yeah, my full-time job is teaching in Crumlin College. Um, the cookery classes in Kildare will be a little <clears throat> little weekend sideline. Um, um, more casual. They have to be fun. I think if people go to those back in the cookery classes, it's about having fun. It's not about hitting them with really technical dishes. Keep it simple. Keep it tasty, keep it lighthearted, something that people can replicate at home. Um, but I'm very fortunate to have joined the uh, culinary team in Crumlin College for their education. So I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the new guy in there, and uh, they've been very welcoming. And I'm training the apprentice chefs, and that are working in industry at the minute. So yeah, it's it's challenging, it's uh, but it's really rewarding, you know, when you're when you're 
teaching people to cook that are in the industry and it can be life changing for them, you know. It's uh it's kinda of their first real step on, on the ladder of education, you know, outside of school. And we've got a we've got a, a mixed bag and uh they're a lovely bunch and um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to, to teach. You have a great thirst for learning, having studied at the IT Tala a few years ago and then in more recent years you did a master's degree in culinary nutrition that's correct yeah um in tala which is now tud um formerly it tala um i did the master's in applied culinary nutrition which is run by annette Sweeney, who's been there about geez, uh, geez, 25 years now so it's a an excellent master's program which is specifically designed for people in the food industry you know particularly chefs so I did that master's, and I think there were nine in my class, and we were all chefs of various different from various different walks of life, apart from two, which were um, home economics teachers, um, two women that taught in the same school. One was kind of come to the end of her career at teaching, and one, Cara, who was in her mid-twenties, sharp as a razor, you know, and uh, they really kept us on their toes. But it's uh, an excellent master's program for a chef that wants to kind of... Um, you know, open their mind to, you know, be, you know, not just become a better chef, but uh, just to learn more and grow and, you know, play with different ingredients. Like I didn't do the master's program to um, become a better chef, but I did because uh, it just opened your mind. So uh, I'd recommend it. You were doing that program and running the restaurant at the same time, which was a serious commute then from Kildare to, to Temple Bar every day. Has the work-life balance kicked in more since you closed Chameleon? Has life taken a slower pace? It's it, The work-life balance has certainly improved. Um, has it taken a slower pace? Yeah, well, I no longer have that stress knot in my stomach, which I was wondering what it was for, for a few years. That just that just kind of faded away over the past couple of months. Like, there are pressures when you close the business. But um, I get to go to my son's football matches on a weekend now, and I get to bring the other young lad to swim, you know? And you miss out on those things when you're running a restaurant. I think you're running a restaurant is very rewarding, too. It can be. But, yeah, the work-life balance is certainly better. Um, doing the masters and running the restaurant um, nearly broke me. <laughs> say. It really nearly broke me. I'd but, say it did. <laughs> yeah, um, like you know, we sacrificed a lot of it. Uh, we had to, we have to make sacrifices when you do that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, man, I did, I did. It, it really nearly broke me, nearly tipped me over the edge. But I think anybody who does a master's who goes back to education will say the same thing. But it's worth it in the end. Absolutely, yeah. If, if you know, with easy, everybody would be doing it. And you're talking there about closing a business and the challenges of closing a business. And it has to be said that you must be commended on the way that you did that, that you made sure all your staff had jobs to go to. Like you put a lot of time and effort in securing them good employment. Yeah. Well, Chameleon was like a little family, you know. Um, You know, like it was a family-run restaurant, but complete, complete opposite from a chain restaurant. And the people that worked for us, they liked where they worked. And the chameleon liked them, and they liked the chameleon. You know, with a quirky little place. So I knew that they wouldn't fit in just any old any old establishment. So I kind of thought about their personalities. I thought about where they live geographically, where they where it would work for them, where it would be sustainable, and where they'd be treated well. So we connected those dots. And some some are still in those places, and some have moved on. But nobody had any downtime except unless it was by choice. Um, and there, that's, that's all you could do, really, you know. Um, I, obviously, we took, we took a financial hit, so, but that's just the way it goes. You know? Well, fair play to you for for taking the time to do that whenever you had so many other things to be doing. I'm sure it's greatly appreciated, and many other employers that find themselves in a similar position could could learn a lesson or two from you and Carol, Kevin. I'm delighted that everything's going so well for you. The Supper Club is next week. That's March the 19th. It's in Picado, which is on South Richmond Street and Dublin too. Where can people get the last couple of tickets or maybe put their name down on a waiting list? Because I've no doubt that's the position you're going to find yourself in. Um, well, they're up on Eventbrite. Or, other, or alternatively, you can just uh, keep an eye on the social media channels. 
on what am I on Instagram? I'm Chameleon Food, and on Facebook there were Chameleon Cookery Classes. You know, um, but uh, that's finger crossed that coronavirus doesn't. Uh, I was in lockdown. If that's the case, then we'll have to defer. <laughs> we won't mention the C word. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. Well, it's been lovely to catch up with you this evening. Best of luck with the Supper Club and give my regards to Carol. I will. Thanks so much, Sharon. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Thanks again to Kevin. And before we go tonight, a word of congratulations to the winners of this year's Irish Food Writers Guild Awards that were announced last week. Kristen Jansen, who is the chair, told me that these awards highlight the incredible work of small, independent Irish food producers and organisations at a time when supporting local homegrown industries has never been more relevant or important. I won't go through them all, but if you would like to support a chocolate producer check out Exploding Tree in Cork who won the Environmental Award. If you fancy a tipple the Irish Drink Award went to Teeling Single Pot Still Irish Whiskey there in County Dublin and there was a trio of food awards who went to Frank Hederman for Hederman Hot Smoked Irish Salmon there in County Cork Shines Seafood for Shines Wild Irish Tuna there a County Donegal company and then in County Tipperary a food award went to Inch House Traditional Black Pudding. So be sure to keep an eye out for them on the shelves when doing your shopping. And we wish them and all the other winners continued success. And that brings us to the end of tonight's Best Possible Taste. Thanks so much for listening and to my guests, Ardy Clifford, Karen O'Donoghue and Kevin O'Toole. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.